is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Pepsi's tone-deaf Kendall Jenner ad. Shea Moisture's Break Free from Hair Hate campaign. You may have been left asking yourself, how the hell did that happen? These companies have people of color on staff, but it wasn't enough. Amanda Spann is a serial entrepreneur, and after seeing these and other major judgment errors, she launched the site youneedablackperson.com. She meant it as a joke, but it's rooted in a much larger issue. She's on the show today talking about how rapid growth and groupthink can poison a company's better judgment, and how she's avoiding having the same issues with her own products. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. So, Amanda, I want to start out um, with a consulting gig that you started up a little while ago after seeing just a series of head-shaking errors by major brands in advertising, you started youneedablackperson.com, which I think universally made everyone smile for a moment and then think, no, but seriously, <laughs> I think you do. Can you tell me about where that idea came from, what sparked it, what was the straw, and uh, what the response has been? I kind of did it just as a joke. I mean, it was supposed to be a little satirical. Yeah. I really wasn't thinking about adding a branch onto my service. I mean, I do consult. Um, however, you know, I'm focused on building a few apps right now. So it's not, you know, consulting hasn't been top of mind right. as of as of late. But what kind of set me over the edge is the Shea Moisture campaign. The whole theme of the campaign was like hair hate. Um, and so traditionally, Shea Moisture has been a brand that um, has been heavily used by Black women and Hispanic women. Yeah. Um, I believe the founder is from West Africa, and they brought over, you know, their mother's recipe to, uh, you know, share with Black women all around the Western world. So it's been a brand that's been very heavily, like, treasured, and it has really propelled to success as a result of Black women's support. As of late, they have been running a number of campaigns that don't feature Black women at all. I totally understand brands expanding and tapping into new markets. I think it's probably a poor decision to ignore the base that got you to this place of success. Like You wouldn't be able to expand into new territories and new markets and to offer products to, you know, white women if it wasn't for, you know, all of the success black women had afforded you. So recently they ran an ad about hair hate and it only featured primarily white women. None of the women in the ad were black. They didn't really have kinky curly hair like the brand has traditionally serviced. And it really went to to make everything that, you know, black women struggle with with their hair really about white women. Right. Um, and it would be one thing if they were, you know, they were making a campaign that solely targeted white women or they were offering, you know, they were announcing that they were making a new product Different line, product line right. for white women. Um, that That's A-OK. But, you know, to have a commercial that targets black women but does not include 
any black women is a folly. And it's it's a little insulting to those of us who've really supported the brand and amplified it over the years. Um, and then, you know, with the flub of the Pepsi commercial, the Pepsi to Kendall yep. Jenner commercial, you know, I thought this would be a, a kind of a timely point to throw something like that up there and kind of get a few laughs, but to also make people realize, hey, you know, the way of our world is changing. I mean, by this, by 2040, the majority of this country, the landscape will look a lot differently. The more, majority of the country will be minorities. Um, and if you're not getting ready for that and you are not preparing to service minorities in a thoughtful and considerate way, then, you know, you're doing a disservice to yourself. You're doing a disservice to your customers. And, and really, you won't be able to keep up with the new economy. Yeah, and it really does. I mean, I, I know you said you started it as a farce, but it really does sort of sit in that that intersection there between something that's satirical, but something that actually does hit on an ethos and a, a tenor that's going on today. Why do you think, so in the case of Shea, why does something like that happen? A, a company that has historically been you know, very well rooted and very aware of their their message and and what they stand for, all of a sudden, kind of losing that. Is that other people being brought in? Is that just a side effect of growth? Well, I think it's, there's there's several layers to it, right? So what happens as a company grows like that? A lot of the people who made the brand what it is get pushed out, or they decide to move on from the brand. But you have to keep people like that, or keep consultants who are brand aware. Oftentimes they bring in people when a brand expands like this, they bring in people who may be aware of the brand, but not, they may not have any affinity for it or Mm -hmm. further, they may be experienced in like, you know, the fashion, beauty, lifestyle space in a a number of other capacities, but they never work with a brand that specifically targets minorities. Right. Right. Um, And so, Ultimately, you may have a room full of people who are all in the marketing department and they are all competent and qualified to be there. However, they just have no sincere brand awareness, right? I mean, there are a lot of minorities working in marketing and advertising, but they often aren't on the executive level. And even if they are, a lot of times their voices are get drowned out in the conversation. So if you only have you're making a product for black women and you only have one black woman in the room right? and the black woman is telling you this is kind of offensive to me or I don't think this will resonate well. You know, a lot of times those points get looked over. You know, people kind of write it off as you being aggressive or you being combative, being uh, like the dissenter. Like they, this person just doesn't want to get on board with the campaign or and then you know you get outvoted and then oftentimes people are have a fear of losing their job so if they speak up and say hey you know i really don't like this idea i really don't think this is going to go over well they run the risk of being labeled as the person who is just being difficult i think there's a lot of things that that happen that that all add up to that but you know what brands can do about that it's just really being mindful and bringing consultants, whether that be, you know, those they have in-house or outside of the company who have have an affinity and awareness of the brand and, you know, make it transparent about where they're trying to go and what they're trying to do. And there are so many different ways that you can do that thoughtfully. Like I said a little earlier, you know, if Shea Moisture wanted to expand into other markets, that's not necessarily a problem. Right. No, one, no one, especially not black women, want to stunt 
Shea Moisture from growing as an entity. However, you know, it is insulting to us to ignore us to 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 you know leverage your success and leverage your growth on our backs and then turn your backs on us once you get to a certain place. So, um, you know, I I haven't bought Shea Moisture since that happened. Yeah. Um, I've seen the products on sale quite a bit at, you know, Target and at assorted stores where they're sold, but I just, you know, I, I prefer not to use the product at this point. Yeah, that has a lasting impact. Mm-hmm. So what companies would you say are, are getting this right? Are there companies that either you're working with or that you've seen and admire when it comes to being more thoughtful about multicultural marketing? Um, I think Coca-Cola does a great job. Uh, I, I hate saying Coca-Cola because they're such a large entity. Why is that? They're such a giant, right? So I, I would really like to provide some examples of companies that are a little bit more grassroots, but I think they they do a good job across the board of being inclusive about their marketing. Um, and even if they are going to run an ad that, you know, may not kind of touch on diversity, they make it neutral enough where it can appeal to everyone. Coca-Cola really tries to incorporate um, a theme, a recurring theme of joy. Mm-hmm. And that's something that people can experience regardless of what color they are, regardless of what their background, what their background may be. Everyone understands joy. Um, I think a lot of the tech giants have been trying to do a better job. Microsoft um, has really diversified their campaigns as of late. Um, you know, I, I think I saw Com- the rapper Common mm-hmm. um, doing the voiceover for one of their recent commercials. They are, you know, really getting on the ground and showing, you know, micro influencers and thought leaders who are engraved in this community, but engraved in various communities. But, you know, people know, people like, people love, people want to support. Um, And so I think they're offering, you know, great narratives and great stories from a diverse number of perspectives. Google, I I think, is doing the work on the ground as well. Um, They still have a long way to go as far as diversity and inclusion is concerned. Um, But they are making the conscious effort to do it. And so I commend them for taking kind of the steps forward to be one of the first that that prioritizes this. Great. And so since we're in the space of tech now and we sort of started talking about Google, I'd love to get back to you and your story a little bit here. You've been working for, for a number of years, but more and more in sort of the tech space as an, as an app entrepreneur. How did you first get involved in technology? Um, well, I was working as an entertainment publicist and I just wasn't fulfilled. Um, so I decided that I wanted to transition into tech. Um, and I started self-educating myself. So I would literally go to the library or any place I could and I would print off like hundreds of pages <laughs> that I had found all across the web or across books on just mobile marketing and technology solutions and and, uh, just in the innovation space. So I did that, I studied that for a while and kind of taught myself everything I could. And then I went back to school, um, got my master's from Georgetown. And um, I knew that there was a lot of professors at Georgetown who worked in tech already. So it was a great way to kind of transition me into Tech PR, um, while I was there, I started doing PR for a number of startups um, that are doing pretty well now. I used to, um, you know, do PR marketing for Hinge briefly, mm-hmm. Swap, which is like a luxury online consignment platform, and a couple of other startups. And then I started, you know, creating things on my own. I decided I wanted to make my own app. 
I launched a social enterprise to help other people propel their startups. And in the past, you know, two years, I've started uh, launching my own apps. Uh, I have five in total wow. right now. One just recently launched, and we have one that we are teeing up for a launch in the next few days. Um, the one that launched on Monday is a dating app targeting the African diaspora. Um, and it's kind of cool because, you know, the continent of Africa is expansive and you have people all from all over that continent who travel all over the world. You literally have people who have gone to school in Russia or, you know, living in Germany now or moving from Zimbabwe to to be a resident of Canada now. Um, and those people definitely have a degree of connectivity that's lost from the continent. They long for, you know, cultural connections. Additionally, you have here stateside and um, in, in North America, you have a lot of African-Americans who, you know, are traveling more, who are becoming expats, um, who are going to different countries for an assortment of different reasons. Um, and they, they too have a desire to, you know, meet a familiar face on the road. So what the app does is it essentially enables you to find like eligible black singles by nationality or ethnicity anywhere in the world. Um, so if you are in London and you are looking for a Liberian, you can find one in proximity to you. If you are in Nepal, you can find a Nigerian if that's what you desire. Huh. Um, and so it, it, it just gives people the opportunity to connect with, you know, a little piece of home anywhere they are in the world. And so the, the app is called Aphrodite? Mm-hmm. Where did this, like, did this idea come out of you alone? Were you, you know, in discussion with someone? Like, what, what made this the project that you wanted to launch? Well, I never thought, I mean, surprisingly, I never thought I would be getting into the dating, the dating space. Or like yeah, it's a crowded arena. market, right? I, you know, I, we really, literally just started this project probably three, four months ago. And what essentially happened is, you know, I have been meeting a lot of men in particular. And, you know, I, I got the, I, the gist that they really desired to marry someone of their own nationality, but they were having, uh, you know, these are men who are like first generation immigrants or things like that. And so they had a, a strong desire to marry someone from their own culture. Mm -hmm. um, simultaneously, I have a lot of friends who are of African descent and they also were feeling the pressures from their families and their friends to meet someone of their nationality or of their tribe. Um, and so I got to thinking, you know, what is the simplest way that we can solve this problem? So I, I partnered with a friend of mine who is of Nigerian descent and she kind of saw the other side of the other side of the table. Um, and we kind of got together and decided this would be the simplest way to, to solve it. And that, you know, we would start with the MVP and just kind of launch that and then segue into building out a more robust platform over the next year. You are prolific when it comes to the projects you start. So you had, we, we breezed by them before, but there's Blurdology and, and Tip Hub and some of the work that you've done on the continent of Africa itself. And you've got five apps you mentioned that are sort of in the works. Why do you think that you are driven by lots of different projects as opposed to sinking everything into one long-term company? I think one thing that founders have to think about when they're starting projects is like, what type of founder do you want to be, right? 
when I first started out building things, I thought to myself, oh, I want to be, I want to be like, you know, Jobs by Zuckerberg. I want to build one big thing Mammoth. and just, you know, do that for the rest of my life. But, you know, who I am as a person evolves from day to day. It evolves from week to week. And, you know, all of my projects, they're all my babies. I'm, all, I'm passionate about all of them. But I realized in that process of just building one company is that, you know, I am better equipped as a serial entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I like, you know, and this is why I kind of operate my, my apps as kind of a startup studio right now where I partner with other people where they could be their passion projects as well. Um, and we, you know, we operate as kind of like co-founders to their, to their project, even though we're leading the development of the app and all that, because I, I, I realized that, you know, there, there won't be just one sole passion I have for the rest of my life. And I think it's okay to have your, your foot in, you know, multiple shoes and, uh, you know, being able to, I think that I'm a little bit more dynamic and resilient than the average person that I can carry a lot more work than you know the average founder and I'm I'm okay with kind of being pulled multiple directions and it, it keeps things fresh for me it keeps things novel um I like being able to work on a different project every day and I, I don't want to get in the habit of just getting stuck in a routine because that's when things get boring um so I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity to work on multiple projects and and kind of keep things fresh from day to day so are you spinning these projects off to other people to continue on as you go? Is there a time at which you'll move on from Aphrodite and somebody else will run it? Um, well, I mean, that's yet to be determined. I don't foresee that anytime soon. But I mean, if the company grows to a point where it is a giant, right, I may not be the best person to serve as the CMO anymore, right? Um, you know, as long as I'm still, you know, a partner in it and I still have some stake in the equity in the company, then I'm fine with someone taking over the prospective role if they can run it better than I can. Yeah. And I, I imagine there's a great deal of trust in that, right? So back to your original point about Shay, you know, if you decide to to move on or even just become less involved, you're entrusting that company and the, the brand of that company to somebody else. And so knowing that that person has the best interest of the company and that that is that person's aligned with the original vision has got to be critical. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think one thing that people often miss is that when they bring on someone to take over a role or to take over a position, a lot of times people just look to see if they're qualified on paper, right? right? And I think this may may have been what happened in the case of Shay, that they hired a bunch of people who were, who were seemingly qualified to do the position or to execute on the roles um, because of their background. But that doesn't speak to their brand familiarity. It doesn't speak to their affinity for it. It doesn't speak to their passion for it. It's hard to gauge those things. So, I mean, in the cases of Shay and, like, you know, with Aphrodite, even that, like, you know, I have to think about, is this person as passionate about my brand as I am? Do they love it as much as I do? Do they believe in it as much as I do? And, you know, that, that's hard to find but it's possible and you have to be kind of patient with yourself and patient with your search process and finding the right people who will carry your brand in the way that you see fit. That's such good advice. I would love to, to end going back since you did just launch the Aphrodite app. I want to 
end on a note on that um, and kind of celebrate your launch by asking you one more question. I'm not going to get too personal about your dating life, I promise. So I'll keep it kind of light. But um, let's say theoretically, you're writing up a profile for yourself on Aphrodite. What would you open with? What's your opener? Right now, I actually do have a profile on Aphrodite. (laughs) Pull it out, read it um, off. My profile just says, Right now, it just says one sentence, and it says, um, what's a hill to a climber? And I think that that just kind of sums me up perfectly. Like, there's there, there are no hills for, for climbers, for people who, who like to scale mountains. Yeah. What does a hill matter? Um, and I think it speaks to my, my dynamic attitude, my resilience, my resolve as a person as, and as a founder, secondly. I'm probably going to edit that soon. Um, I just kind of threw it up there because we we were just in beta and I just needed to create a profile to test the app. But uh, I think you should keep I, it. I'm probably going to give it a little bit more thought uh, over the next few days as we kind of unlock some of our new markets. I don't know. That's a pretty powerful line. I don't need know that you need more than that, but... We'll end it there on that note, too. Thank you so much, Amanda, for taking the time. Uh, The app is called Aphrodite, but there are also a ton of other projects um, in your domain. So thank you for, for sharing some of them with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, you could rate and review us on iTunes. It makes a huge difference and helps spread the word. And if you want to drop us a line, we're always around on Twitter, at The Gross Show. We'll be sure to respond.